This message comes from Capital One. Your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services backed by the strength of a top 10 commercial bank. Visit CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. Everything Everywhere All at Once is a zany and profound sci-fi action comedy set in multiple dimensions, bursting with ideas about the pursuit of happiness, familial duty, and the meaning of life. It stars Michelle Yeoh as a businesswoman whose world is turned upside down the day her family attempts to file their taxes. Forced to confront her life choices, she clashes with her daughter, husband, and a cranky IRS inspector in the weirdest of ways. The film recently racked up 11 Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, Director, and Lead Actress for Yo. So we thought this would be the perfect time to revisit our conversation about one of our favorite movies of the past year. I'm Aisha Harris, and in this encore episode of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we're talking about everything, everywhere, all at once. Support for NPR and the following message come from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Joining me today is NPR producer Mallory Yu. Welcome back, Mallory. Hey, Aisha. And also joining us is the host of NPR's Book of the Day podcast and a reporter for NPR's Culture Desk, Andrew Limbong. Welcome back to you too, Andrew. Yo, what up? I am very excited to talk about this movie with you both. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of movie to talk about, yeah. So uh, to set it up a little bit, in Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is itself a lot to talk about, the title, uh, Michelle Yeoh is Evelyn Wong, a harried businesswoman who co-owns a laundromat with her husband, Wayman, played by Ki Hui Kwan. Now, Michelle's life is a little chaotic when the movie begins. They're looking after her crotchety elderly dad, Gong Gong, played by James Hong. She has a prickly relationship with her queer daughter, Joy, played by Stephanie Hsu. And her marriage to Wayman is on the rocks. On top of all that, they need to file their taxes and must deal with Deirdre, an exasperated IRS auditor played by none other than Jamie Lee Curtis. Now, when they arrive at their meeting with Deirdre, things get weird. Evelyn is plunged down a rabbit hole, or rather a janitor's closet, (laughs) of multiple dimensions, timelines, and possible cells. It's kind of impossible to truly describe the madness that ensues. So the short of it is, it plays sort of like a video game where you have to learn the rules of the realm as you go along. There are sick martial arts sequences and sentient rocks pondering existential questions. There's generational trauma and so much more we're going to try not to spoil here. It's a lot. The movie is written and directed by Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, billed professionally as The Daniels. And the movie is in theaters now. I highly recommend everyone see it on a big screen, for sure, because it's mm-hmm. it's that kind of movie. For yeah. sure. <laughs> so, Andrew, let's start with you. What did you think of the movie? Um, yeah, straight off the bat, it rocks. <laughs> is that a pun? Oh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I thought it was great. I mean, it's so, it is really stupid, right? And it's so mm-hmm. dumb. 
and it could have just as easily been, been like only those things and I would have been fine with it, right? But it's also like heartfelt and deep and inquisitive. Did, did you see Swiss Army Man? Yes, yes, Swiss Army Man. For folks who may not remember, this was the Daniels' previous feature film. It was their debut. And that one starred Daniel Radcliffe. And I forget who the other... Uh, Paul Dano. Paul yeah. Dano. Yes, yes, yes. Daniel Radcliffe was a farting corpse. Plays a farting corpse. <laughs> yeah. So we've, we've got some similar like body humor going on here. Yeah, it hits all those same notes of like heartfelt and like gross out because in Swiss Army Man he's not just a farting corpse he also has like a boner that points like nor- like at acts as a compass if you remember I totally <laughs> forgot about that the, the, the farting corpse was the only thing I remembered but how could yeah. I forget the boner <laughs> yeah and so you can expect the same level the same grade of humor from this movie just like 10 times more often, I think. And I think it, it's great. Yes, yes. But like you said, it has heart still. Like, there, there's a lot going on. It's not just that. And I would say this is way more ambitious than than what I remember the Swiss Army man being. But mm-hmm. Mallory, how about you? What are your thoughts? Man, I loved this movie. Like, wholeheartedly, 100% adored this movie. Like, I've been a big fan of the Daniels' work since I saw Swiss Army Man. And I thought this was such a an exciting progression of the sort of absurd, punchy humor that we saw in Swiss Army Man, but still grounded in, you know, the reality of being human and being human today. I thought, you know, in Swiss Army Man, it's like Daniel Radcliffe plays a farting corpse, but it's also a story about kind of the weirdness, humiliation, and also exhilaration of like living in a human body. Mm -hmm. And Everything Everywhere All at Once is similarly grounded in like something really authentic and relatable about mother-daughter experiences and family dynamics, especially Mm -hmm. in like an immigrant family. I loved the martial arts set pieces. Um, Obviously, Michelle Yeoh is Mm -hmm. a goddess. And I loved that this movie is basically an homage and a pean, a love letter to her and her career and everything that she's done. Um, And she's finally kind of getting her dues. As a queer, mentally ill Asian daughter myself, I really vibed with the way that the mother-daughter relationship was portrayed here in all the kind of prickly complexity and nuance. There were just so many moments where I saw myself in my experience and I loved it. And then also it's like, totally surrounded by this zany, weird, absurd world and humor. And there are set pieces that are so stupid and are (laughs) jaw-dropping and pants-dropping also, just to kind of give you an idea of where we're going here. Yeah, But there's something just so poignant and lovely about where the story goes that it's balanced and worth it. Yeah. I definitely want to get to the sort of generational dynamics going on there. But I mean, for me, what I really loved about this movie was just how unpredictable it was, even though after a while you sort of understand it's a movie, it's not a movie that teaches you how to watch it. Mm -hmm. And even though a lot of it eventually becomes familiar, I can think of plenty of shows or movies recently that have done the similar interdimensional take on things, whether it's Russian Doll or Into the Spider-Verse. Like, this is a thing that's been percolating in the ether for a while now, but it's done in such a different way, in a unique way. And 
I kept coming back to Jackie Brown mm. because hear me on it because <laughs> they're very different. They're very different movies, like very different modes. But when I think of what Quentin Tarantino did for Pam Greer and how, yes, she had been a star, a exploitation star, but she hadn't quite had like that meaty, juicy role that really treated her seriously as an actress, as a performer. I see what the Daniels here are doing with Michelle Yeoh, and also with Ki Hui Kwan, who uh, I'm sad to say I did not realize this until after the movie ended and I was doing research. I was like, wait, that short round from <laughs> from, oh. from Indiana Jones. Yeah. And I, the, throughout the whole movie, I was like, his voice sounds so familiar. Yeah. I feel like I've seen this guy before, but I couldn't place it in the middle of the theater. And he hasn't really worked much on screen in the last 20 years or so. Like, this movie is giving both of them a chance to have, like, the roles that they haven't had, or at least Michelle Yeoh hasn't had in a Hollywood production. And so being able to see that them both flourish and have this, uh, be able to do all of the martial arts stuff and, and have like a real dynamic between the relationship and figuring out how to make the relationship work. And then the odes to Wong Kar Wai and In the Mood for Love, there's like some beautiful shots in one of the dimensions that they go to that like evokes all the sumptuous beauty of a Wong Kar Wai film. Mm -hmm. Like, I loved all of the many, many layers to it and appreciated what this movie was doing for both of those actors and for every actor. I think every actor in this film is very much served and, and there's no sort of small parts. They're all integral to what is going on. I think the Daniels are, are just really good at kind of balancing their sort of absurdist kind of tendencies and humor with a love to cinema. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're watching this movie, it's throwing so many different ideas at you, but it's also throwing so many homages, like inside jokes in references to to films and martial arts movies and things that to me, I see the roots and the foundations of movies that I grew up watching with my parents and I can tell that there's so much love for movies and for filmmaking and mm -hmm. that sort of makes you feel like they're in conversation with you if you get it yeah and i think this is is this the first time we've seen michelle yo play I don't, I don't know how to describe it like a weak character like she's i think of her right and i think of like a hard ass right mm -hmm. and i think of somebody stern and stoic and she's still kind of a hard ass in this movie with especially in her relationship with her daughter but i think this is the first time i've ever seen her like not in control of A, her emotions, and B, everything else around her, you know? Yeah, yeah. and even her body, too. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, the physical performances in this movie are so good because Michelle and Ki Hui Kwan both have to kind of play characters with very different expertises, like physical expertises, and... Like Evelyn has to kind of go from being sort of a frumpy, everyday Chinese business lady to a martial arts master in like a split sort of second. And I think she does such a good job with that physicality. I was really impressed with how I could tell which multiverse 
we were in mm-hmm, based mm-hmm. on kind of the way that each person was moving. Yeah, they they really juggled that very well because there there are moments where within one scene we're we're going through three, four different multiverses, and then there's all these other random characters. Like I described it as a video game earlier on, and it is kind of like that in that there's all these different levels and challenges they have to face within each of those levels. But the the style, the aesthetic, also the costuming, like all of that sort of informs you of where you are at any given moment so that mm-hmm. it, it's pretty easy to follow along even when sometimes it's like tonal whiplash in, this, in a span of like 30 seconds. Yeah. Imagine <laughs> editing this movie. Oh yeah. my God. Editing this movie seems like a nightmare, dude. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. But let's get back to the generational aspect that you hinted at earlier, Mallory, because I it's coming at a moment when we are having a lot of content right now about generational trauma. And when it got to the point in the climax where it was clearly becoming so much about that, and I just seen turning red like a couple weeks before that. So it was like still very fresh in my mind. And on top of that, like I mentioned earlier, Russian doll is coming back. So we're like I still appreciated it, but I'm curious to hear your take on it, Mallory, and how you related to that aspect of it. I mean, <laughs> similarly, I, like I'm really glad that millennials, our kind of peers, are now able to make movies about our parents and kind of process how generational trauma have shaped like our generation. But also, man, I have been on a run of movies about moms specifically. Yeah. <laughs> and it has been <laughs> lovely, but also I now have so much material for my therapist. I need a break. <laughs> like it's hard. I can't get through all this material in like an hour. Um I think sometimes for immigrant children especially it can be really hard for us to talk to our parents on kind of a deeper emotional level. It can also be really hard to see each other as like three-dimensional people rather than kind of the people that we expect or want them to be. So the divide between Joy and her mom where I could see Joy kind of yearning for this connection with her mother and also being completely unsure of how to cross that divide and how to make her mother understand her and see her, like I could really get that. Growing up, I sometimes felt like my parents were only seeing the version of me that they wanted to see. And then as a kid, I was also aware that I wasn't able to see my parents as three-dimensional people with lives before they were my parents, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a yearning that comes with wanting to cross that divide, but there's also sometimes anger and resentment. And I really appreciated the way that this threaded that needle of how vastly cultural differences can really affect a child's relationship with their parents. And then there's also a lovely message about, you know, understanding and acceptance of the flaws in the people around you that I really found poignant and lovely. Yeah. I think that's why I think it's so great that they included the grandfather character. Yeah. um, Played by James Hong, who I, I was just before looking at his IMDb, my guy puts in work oh yeah this dude's like resume is he's in it. his 90s now i think right oh brother yeah i know yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. he's still working dude <laughs> yeah. but the his character adds so much to evelyn you know and and sort of this relationship because like when we talk about like intergenerational divides you see her relationship with her father isn't great either mm-hmm. right and you know mally like you were saying like seeing your parents as three-dimensional people 
it's almost nice to be like, you're just as f***ed up as I am. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you guys, you, guys, you had it just as hard, huh? <laughs> I, I will say, like, the thing that I appreciated the most about that storyline or that dynamic was the fact that, like, it resolves itself, but not in the way I was quite expecting it to. Mm-hmm. And also the fact, like you said, the grandfather is involved. So it's not just intergenerational, but it's also – it's not just – a lineage of mothers and grandmothers and but, but like it's like the grandfather plus the daughter and then the granddaughter like I liked seeing that sort of mixture because there is a different mm-hmm. texture and a different sort of interaction that you have across genders and generations mm-hmm. and I appreciated seeing that I think my favorite aspect of it all was really more so when it came down to Evelyn it's a film about regret in many ways and and the paths not chosen and so seeing what her life could have been like in these other iterations to me and the way in which it really sort of digs into that sense of regret and how you deal with that and then how that affects the people around you in whatever dimension you're in for a movie with not a farting corpse but like there are dildos there are all these things that are happening <laughs> There's a long reference to Ratatouille that's hilarious. Like, oh it's still like by the end of it, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm crying a little bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think every immigrant kid can, with parents who are ESL speakers, can kind of relate to the mm-hmm. strange words that your parents come up with when they can't remember the the actual English word. Um, like, rakakuni. I could totally hear one of my relatives making this mistake and being like, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing, right? Yeah. It's still a rodent on your head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I called a bed spread a bed spray until college because that's what my mom called it. And I was like, yeah. what do you mean? It's a bed spray. <laughs> like, what <do> you spray? <laughs> There's a tiny exchange in the middle of a larger conversation that Joy and Evelyn are having where Joy at one point corrects a pronoun that Evelyn has used mm. wrongly, has misused. Mm-hmm. And Evelyn goes, he, she, him, she kind of gets confused and she's like, you know, I always mess that up. In Chinese, we only have one word for this. And I have, I mean, I've literally had that exact exchange almost word for word with my mom. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty much the first time that I have really seen that particular aspect, funny and kind of frustrating aspect of being the child of an immigrant. And it was one that made me think like, Daniel Kwan gets it. Like Daniel has had this experience and he's kind of communicating with with me. Mm-hmm. To me, it's indicative of the kind of representation that I want to see. You know, these teeny tiny moments where you know someone gets it, someone has had that experience that speaks to you and that maybe is very personal, but also a great many people can relate to this idea. It was, I don't know if this is like short-sighted on my part, but I was like, oh no, I thought it was just me. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? I was like, I thought that was just my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is definitely, I think, the type of film that will resonate with a lot of people. And I actually saw it the Castro Theater in San Francisco mm-hmm. and the cast was there the Daniels were there and you know I am not Asian myself but most of the or like a lot of the audience was and I could just feel there were all these moments that like I might not have caught but I I could hear the understanding or the like knowing like oh yeah I know this experience I know mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. like you can hear the people around you like oh, I get it yeah yeah 
we've talked a little bit about the generational aspect in terms of like being first generation, second generation immigrant, but like, how does it relate to you when we're also talking about the fact that Joy is queer and her mom is not exactly not exactly comfortable <laughs> engaging with <laughs> on it on board? Yeah, I mean, it hit really close to home for me. Um, I think at first it was difficult for my mom as a religious person, but also as a Chinese person to kind of understand my queerness and where it was coming from. And I could tell she accepted it, but it was difficult and awkward for her to talk about. And I really felt there was something really authentic in the way that Joy and Evelyn were kind of bumping up against each other and not talking about queerness, but talking around it. While I knew that my mom loved and accepted me and my queerness, it still hurt that it was difficult and awkward for her to talk about with me, Mm. that I could tell that there was some hesitation in the way that she, you know, referenced my partner or my dating life or whatever. Part of what helped the both of us was that we were physically distant. You know, I was living in DC, my mom is in LA, so I didn't have to have her discomfort in my face all the time, like while she was getting used to it. She could work through it on her own. I think if we had been more on top of each other, like Joy and Evelyn, I could really see our relationship becoming strained because from Joy's perspective, she's like, this is who I am. I just want you to see this part of me and accept it and be okay with it and be comfortable with it. And for Evelyn, it's like she's trying but not really trying because she doesn't really know how to try in that way. I could really see myself feeling like joy and it really kind of helped me think about the weird feelings that I've had about that kind of difficult, awkward period with my parents. I found it to be really profound. I liked that it kind of resolved itself, but it didn't resolve itself. Mm-hmm. Like you can tell that there's still work to be done at the end of this movie. Yeah. You know, I never, my grandparents died before I really came out and they never got to meet my partner or really that part of me. I don't know. There's maybe like some wish fulfillment here at the end of this movie for me as a queer person who is maybe still figuring out my queerness and my Chinese identity as it relates to my family. Hmm. How did you think it worked as it intersected with the sort of nihilist sub, you know what I mean? It it was all like wrapped up in this, like, I was like, is this about like depression or is this also, you know, is this about like queer depression or is it just like a sort of like resigned night? Like, I don't know. how, How did you sort of wrap your head around it? I mean, it's all wrapped up together, right? So a lot, so much of the frustration is because of, the queerness, right? But then there's also the general overarching like existential despair that I think many millennials <laughs> tend to feel nowadays. Yeah. And the, <laughs> the nihilism of like, we weren't meant to be everywhere all at once. And I think sometimes living living on Twitter and living on the internet and social media makes it feel very much like you're supposed to be everywhere, everything all at once. And And being queer is kind of a big part of that. Like, Mm -hmm. it's like this whole big jumbled mess. And I think the movie really did a good job of showing how jumbled and messy it is without 
telling you what it's supposed to feel like. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that sort of nihilistic mode, Andrew, because that that was definitely the part that I loved the most Mm -hmm. was sort of like (laughs) the Nietzschean questions that were being thrown out here. And like Mallory said, they don't tell you how to feel but they are throwing these ideas and so many other ideas out there just for you to sort of ponder. And even though there are so many ideas, they don't, it never feels jumbled in a way, at least to me, it didn't feel jumbled. Um, Andrew, what did you think of that aspect of it? It's incredible how heart on its sleeve it was and yet how not corny it was. Mm -hmm. Like they nailed, existing is hard and difficult, but it is worth doing. It pulls it off with all of its underlying metaphor, I guess is the way to be like posy vibes without being cringe. Mm -hmm. Positive vibes without being cringe. That's a really (laughs) difficult line to draw. And then also wrapped up in a very surreal kind of presentation. I I loved it, man. Well, we want to know what you think about everything, everywhere, all at once. You can find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. And that brings us to the end of our show. This episode is produced by Candace Lim and Mike Katzif and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. And thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Aisha Harris. We'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and more about why people do the things they do. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com podcast or wherever you listen. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash NPR. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts.